Whitcomb Ministries welcomes you to Encounter God's Truth. We proclaim that God's Word is true from the beginning to the end, timeless truths for changing times through the Bible teaching of Dr. John Whitcomb. Dr. Whitcomb was a seminary professor and author for decades, and though he is now with the Lord, the material in our current series called Acts, Witness of the Early Church, has never aired on the radio before. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. We're in volume four of this series, and in a critical message from Acts chapters 10 and 11, where the gospel went to the Gentiles for the first time in the history of the church. This passage explains how that happened through the ministry of the Apostle Peter and its significance for the church all the way down to our time. Dr. Whitcomb preached this sermon at the Middletown Bible Church in Middletown, Connecticut. In fact, you can visit our website at whitcombministries.org and download a free commentary that Dr. Whitcomb and Pastor George Zeller of Middletown Bible Church wrote about the book of Acts. And you can find all the messages from the previous volumes of this series at sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb. Our lesson today is titled, As for Us, So for Them, as drawn from Acts chapter 11, verse 15. We start with a review from last time, and we are considering the end of Acts chapter 10, where Gentiles who believed in the gospel also received the Holy Spirit, just as Jewish believers had earlier. Dr. Whitcomb is discussing the transitional nature of the book of Acts and how this reality impacted believers in the first decades of church history. And by the way, in the book of Acts, it is unthinkable, may I add that footnote, it is unthinkable that any group of born-again people like those in Acts 2 and Acts 8 and Acts 10 and Acts 19, any group of born-again people who are told new truth about Jesus would ever have rejected it. That, in my thinking, would be impossible. So it was a normal, expected thing for what to happen. For these transition people in this transition period to accept the new light that came to them and to exhibit that, demonstrate their entrance into this new understanding and this new relationship with Jesus by speaking in tongues. Now, I have never heard anybody speak in tongues, and neither have you, nor has anyone in this world today, because the last time anybody spoke in tongues as the Bible describes them here in the book of Acts and in the book of Corinthians uh, all ended in the first century. Now, that's not as easy to prove as you might think, one thing that is, is very easy to prove, of course, is that those who claim to be speaking in tongues today are not, because they're not following the biblical guidelines, are they, in how genuine supernatural tongue speaking functioned and what its intent and purpose was and its timing. May I recommend to you uh, three documents uh, that George Zeller has prepared along this line that I think uh, you might be helped by, as I have been. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 and temporary gifts, three things that will fail, three things that will remain, and three th- and one thing that will never fail, and then a more elaborate discussion of this called the Charismatic Movement, 35 doctrinal issues, and now just recently his material has been expanded and updated and put in a book form called God's Gift of Tongues, the Nature, Purpose, and Duration of Tongues as Taught in the Bible. And I've been helped by this to realize that the function, the purpose of tongues, which is really not easy to fathom today as we look back, was not just to make people feel excited or to communicate better because that's the opposite of what Paul said. You know, 2 Corinthians 12, 12, I've done all the signs of an apostle, including speaking in tongues. I would rather speak five words 
with my understanding than 10,000 words in a tongue. So in other words, it's the opposite of what? Of effective communication. Doubtless it brought personal blessing and exhilaration to one who uh, spoke in tongues, but uh, it was worthless in terms of what? Edifying people, instructing and forming people, such as prophesying, teaching, and preaching the word of God would be. Well, that adds to the complexity of it all then. What was it for? These supernatural God-given abilities to certain people at the beginning of the foundation phase of the church, uh, Paul says, were for what? A sign not for those that believe, but for those who do not believe. And so when you look back in the Old Testament, we find out that uh, back in Deuteronomy 28 and Isaiah 28 and Isaiah 33 and so forth, uh, you find a pattern that whenever the people of God were instructed lovingly and graciously by God and how to honor him and they then, number two, rejected what God said and suppressed his word, then God would do something very shocking. He would bring upon them people of another language that they couldn't understand and uh, they would be judged and deported and uh, they would learn the hard way that you don't lightly ignore, suppress, or reject the word of God. See, so in the early church, when the Jews here, unbelieving Jews, saw these Christians speak in an unknown language, that was God's warning based on Old Testament precedent that something awful is coming if you don't listen to and accept the word of the Lord as confirmed by these people who are miraculously speaking different languages. You are programming yourself for judgment, which of course happened in an awesome way in AD 70, from which catastrophe Judaism has never recovered to this hour. Their temple has never been rebuilt. No altar of sacrifice ever been established on that altar. No Zadokian priest has offered one animal legitimately Uh, to God on behalf of the theocracy of Israel to this very hour. And that's 1,900 years have gone by, friends, nearly. And I say, well, Lord, this is awesome. Tongues was signed to unbelievers, unbelieving Jews in this case, that they were suppressing, rejecting the new, fresh, genuine word of God through believers who were now members of the body and bride of Christ. So we say, Lord, help us to honor that and to recognize that by AD 70, apparently then all legitimate supernatural tongues ended. As Paul explains, you remember in 1 Corinthians 13, tongues shall be stopped. And apparently, it's not possible to absolutely prove this, seems legitimate though, that by AD 70, they stopped. None of the early church fathers for hundreds of years ever claimed that they spoke in tongues or knew anyone who did. They look back on that as a past finished event at the foundation phase of church history. And some, of course, claim that that's true, but that it has been revived in our generation through the Pentecostal movement and the Signs and Wonders movement and the Charismatic movement and so forth. And again, all we can do is to apply the measuring stick of scripture as to how it's being done, how it's being used. And we find that uh, the guidelines in 1 Corinthians 14 are being 
are being ignored. Many other things are being ignored and uh, perverted and twisted and out of shape. And we say, Lord, this is a divisive confusion of God's people in this generation that must be dealt with carefully, biblically, lovingly, but uh, precisely. No one in the world today is speaking genuinely in the kind of miracle tongues described in the book of Acts. Well, what did they do when they spoke in tongues? Watch this. Verse 46, they magnified God. They responded to God's revelation. They honored him in what they experienced and what they believed and what they did. And Peter said, can any man forbid water? that these should not be baptized. And that reminds us of the other representative of the Gentile world who said the same thing. Who was that? The Ethiopian eunuch. He says, here's water. Why can't I be baptized here? Somehow that message of the Great Commission got around, didn't it? Jesus said, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, that is, in water. Not that that actually in itself saved people, but was an obedience to God's Great Commission program to give a visual aid to a reality spiritually, inwardly, of what? Of spirit baptism. Now, these people have received the Holy Spirit as well as we. Yes, we share together a marvelous experience and relationship that we never had shared together before. We were baptized by the Holy Spirit. These men have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. These men, women, and perhaps uh, younger people in the home, who knows what uh, spectrum of uh, Gentiles were gathered in that place. My, again, I say, friends, I would love to have a videotape of that whole session, wouldn't you? That's our birthday right here as Gentile Christians into the body of Christ, right here. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And they prayed that uh, he would tarry certain days, which of course uh, he did. That is just the beginning of sorrows for the Apostle Peter. Why? The Gentiles were rejoicing. But wait till you read what his fellow Jews thought about this in Jerusalem. Chapter 11. And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest into men uncircumcised and did eat with them. We're shocked at your apostasy, sir, your disobedience to hundreds and hundreds of years of God's guidelines and instructions. You had table fellowship with unclean, non-kosher humans. Well, friends, aren't you impressed that Peter didn't say, well, since I'm the Pope, that settles it. <laughs> Ex-cathedra, what I do is obviously from God because I'm the vicar of Christ or something. No, he had to explain to these people step by step, graciously, carefully, in a God-honoring way, exactly what happened and why, on a rare occasion here, an excellent communicator in a highly controversial situation, which he will also be doing in chapter 15 in the Great Council in Jerusalem, by the way. But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them, saying, 
I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, and a certain vessel descended as had been a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came even to me. Upon the which, when I had fastened my eyes, I considered and saw four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. By the way, those are the four categories of animals in the Old Testament. Domesticated beasts, wild beasts, birds, and creeping things. In uh, the book of Genesis, included dinosaurs among the creeping, the remesh. Many of which, of course, have vanished forever, but nevertheless... Many still remain on the earth. I've had the privilege of being in a restaurant that specialized in serving a creeping thing to the customers. That was in Florida, in Okeechobee. I was served a toasted alligator. I just thought I'd mention that. I had no convictions about the matter, no compunctions, no fear, other than the possible gastronomic after effects. <laughs> I can say with the Apostle Paul then on dietary thing restrictions that all things are lawful for me, but not all things are <laughs> expedient, <laughs> healthful, appropriate, or wise. <laughs> and I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord. He never forgot. He never forgot that astounding experience and his negative reaction to the will and word of God. For nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered into my mouth, but the voice answered from heaven, What God hath cleansed that call thou not common or unclean? And this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven, and behold, immediately there were three men ready, already come to the house where I was, and sent from Caesarea to me, and the Spirit bade me go with them. I think that is a capital S should be there for Holy Spirit, guided him so that he was not to doubt or fear. Moreover, these six brethren, we learn he had six witnesses who were right there. He said, these six brethren. May I suggest, therefore, he had these six men standing right with him. That was very important, you see, at this point, to have a backup witness and confirmation of these astounding things that he claimed actually happened. So Peter's own word wasn't sufficient. Here are six men with me that can back up everything I've said. Okay. And by the way, may I just suggest, friends, that that is an obvious guideline from ancient Israel and from the book of Acts for our functions in the local body of Christ today, the local church. When disciplinary things come up, and inevitably they will be very careful who is saying what, under what conditions, and with what witnesses to back up and confirm. Happy and healthy and wholesome is the church that has some godly men that can back up the pastor-teacher in his confrontation, which inevitably will happen with disciplinary situations. Witnesses. They accompanied me, and, and we entered into the man's house, and he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell you words, whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. Words. Friends, that's the dynamic under the Holy Spirit 
in the whole history of the human race. Words. Words. Words from heaven above. Uh, words inscribed in a book by the Holy Spirit. The words that we're to speak to all people. Words under God are infinitely important, essential, and foundational for salvation and sanctification. Words. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them as on us at the beginning. Acts 2, verse 4. And then remembered I the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed, that's John the Baptist, indeed baptized you with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.5 And so for many, many days, months in fact, this had been anticipated by the Lord Jesus. And the uh, apostles didn't really fathom what that meant, of course, at that time. Uh, they couldn't see the distinctives of the church in their public work ministry with Jesus during those three and a half years. But he was dropping hints now and then, wasn't he? That something new is coming. And uh, John the Baptist is not the final messenger of God on how things will happen. And John himself had a little hint of that himself, didn't he? I'm just a friend of the bridegroom and, and he's the bridegroom and and you disciples are going to leave me and go to him and he'll become greater and I'll get less and less. What an amazing insight God gave to John the Baptist on this. See, something drastically different is coming. And Jesus, remember, in, in uh, Matthew 16, talked about, on this rock I'll build my church. I will build my church, ecclesia. They didn't know what that meant. Uh, Matthew 18, and here's how the church will function by confronting people who are heretical or out of discipline and you confront one and then you bring witnesses with you to confront again and then you bring before the whole ecclesia, the church. And would you kindly agree with me that Jesus knew what was coming. He knew what the church would be. No surprise to him. It was a mystery hidden from men but not from him as to the identity and function of the church. The apostles, of course, were really in almost total darkness on the functions, distinctives of the church. And Peter's struggles through these months and months and years is a visible evidence in Scripture, the fact that uh, these apostles just didn't know what was going on. They didn't have a faintest idea a new dispensation had begun that had unique characteristics never before seen in the history of the world. Peter says, Jesus told us something new is coming. John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days hence. And of course, uh, just 10 days after he finished saying that, he sent the Holy Spirit from the third heaven to which he had ascended. And Jesus baptized these 120 people in the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. And that was the new dispensation. Now, isn't that fascinating, friends? Here were people that were born-again people who were chosen people under Jesus to be his apostles who were in the church age and didn't even know it for years. It's a major point in the book of Acts. It's not even going to be totally solved when we get to Acts 15, as we shall see. And so here today, we have the same problem. 
we have perhaps millions of Christians and thousands of pastors and teachers who are in the church age and don't even know what they're in. They're not dispensationalists. They think they're still in the program of Israel or something. And uh, that is a, a major issue because, friends, knowing what dispensation you are in, as we've seen, doesn't determine your eternal destiny, your salvation, but determines how you properly function, effectively function in the plan and purpose of God in the program you're in. And so as this age, this church age comes to an end, we find vast confusion all over again. What program are we in here? What's the function and purpose and destiny of the church? How does the church differ from Israel, if at all? This has to be done all over again. It'd be nice to have the Apostle Peter here to talk to us in this uh, late phase of church history to enlighten us on the fact that he finally found out what program he was in. Okay? Verse 17, For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? Now you see the connection between verse 14, Who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved? So verse 17 these people believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. There were no babies here saved. Believers were saved. And that's true today. And when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. This was absolutely astounding. And I say, Well, Lord... Were they serious about that statement? I mean, were they sincere? Did they really agree with Peter? We're now in a new dispensation. We're in the church age. The middle wall is broken down. We Jews and Gentiles are now in an equal standing with each other in one body in Christ. Not really. Horrible things are yet to happen because these Judaizers, I mean, these are born-again Jews, please. Born-again Jews who are Judaizers are saying, you can't really follow consistently what happened for Cornelius and his household, sir. Say, really? What were they thinking? May I offer a suggestion? They were probably thinking, you know what? You're right, Peter. We agree with you. I mean, here are the six witnesses confirm with you. Uh, we'll go with that. Cornelius is a special case. See? Right here in the Holy Land, he's a special case. And special cases like him, Jesus will tolerate till the second coming, perhaps. He's sort of on the outer fringe, you see, of the people of God, an exceptional case. But really, that doesn't mean all Gentiles have access to God's heaven without becoming Jews, because the same thing is going to come up again and again in later chapters and in the book of Galatians. And we're beginning to think the Jews never, I'm talking about Jewish believers, the Jews never fathomed the magnitude of what God told them through Peter until when? Till after A.D. 70. Till Jerusalem was smashed, the temple destroyed, the sacrifices ended, and Judaism as an official theocracy of God on earth came to a crashing halt. Then it began to sink in. Oh, Jesus must have been right after all. Peter must have been right. Uh, maybe the Gentile Christians are now the thing. 
Maybe we have been the true branches now broken off from the tree of divine blessing. He's grafting in other branches now. You see, other sheep have I that are not of this whole. Them also must I bring. The dawning of a new day, I think, hard to prove, began for Jewish Christians after AD 70. This is going to be very hard now on Peter and later especially on Paul as the chapters of the book of Acts go on and on and on on this issue. Okay? And I say, well, Lord, I just don't understand how slow these people were to catch on to new revelation coming even through the chief of the apostles whom they must have recognized, you see, as the one that Jesus appointed to be the number one of the twelve. They're very, very slow to follow the implications of what Peter told them. Well, we have to pause there, but we want to thank Middletown Bible Church, Middletown, Connecticut, for permission and assistance in bringing this audio by Dr. John Whitcomb to you here on Encounter God's Truth. It was recorded live at their Independent Fundamental Bible Conference, where Dr. Whitcomb taught through the Book of Acts. I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you to join us next time for more Volume 4 of Acts, Witness of the Early Church. And we'll learn more about the gospel going to the Gentiles first through the ministry of the Apostle Peter. In the meantime, stay up to date with us at facebook.com slash Ministries. And please, thank the station or outlet in which you're hearing this broadcast. We're so grateful for their fellowship in this ministry of Bible teaching. Now... May the Lord encourage and build you up today as you encounter God's truth.